like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossip. Fucking camera in the truck. Definitive live Pearl Jam podcast, and uh, today, if, if you haven't been tuning in, we've been doing a lot of 90s shows lately, and today, well, you can't get much more 90s than 1992. This is like the prime era for the band, and really, today, we're going to talk a lot about the growth of the band and how this was the, the prime example of the band just getting into their popularity and just finding their stride, and uh, look, it's Chicago. We know their ties to Chicago. Yeah, Ed, it's basically his hometown so there's a lot of good things coming out of this show and a lot of things as we'll tease right now that we can be prepared for later that maybe set up popular things for the future so let's introduce us randy sobel over here john farrer over there hello hey man uh we did 1994 last week we did like 93 and 98 a couple weeks ago so now we're on 1992 and you would think You would think from an outsider point of view that maybe these years wouldn't seem so different, but every single one of these years has a different personality to them. Yeah, things were happening so fast. You know, 1994 is so much different than 1992. You know, you look at what we have now, you can look at like, oh, you know, 2018, 2013, those are pretty similar years. You know, 2006 and 2009, those are pretty similar. But back in the 90s, things were changing so fast. Yeah, you get you get a huge discrepancy between years here. Absolutely. And I think there's no, I mean, there's no bigger discrepancy than between 1991 and 1992 because in 91 they're they're still touring and there's you know 10 is out and they're still figuring it out they're still figuring out what kind of band they're going to be and in 92 right before they head to chicago there's a lot going on so they're basically in europe for about a month and a half when they get back from europe they head over to new york and they film for unplugged that's the date on March 16th. They filmed the unplugged date. That's 29 years ago from a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, although it hasn't gone public yet, and although people don't know the performance, they don't know that he wrote pro-choice on his arm, and they don't really know that Black is going to be this incredibly popular performance that's going to, you know, live 30 years throughout history. Um, but 
they do know that the excitement over them has gotten bigger and it's reaching levels that they weren't at in the previous months. Yeah, and I was I was thinking about this and you know there used to be this thing called commercials. Ooh, Kids gather around the, the fire and like promotional things that they would play to get you excited for things that were upcoming. So, But were you I able to remember... press skip all if you didn't want to oh, watch it? No, no. You were forced to then. watch it. What, That's what, right. kind That's of, right. what kind of devil would make you do that? Exactly. We had it rough back in the 90s. But yeah, I think I, I, I remember seeing that they were there were clips from this. I think they were shown in. And like promotional material, so we knew it was coming. Uh, yeah, it didn't air until I think May. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on this month, and for them, I think they yeah they went straight from Unplugged to to start this tour. You know, ten days later, started in Minneapolis, I think, and this is like the second or third date. So yeah, still all that's still very fresh at this point. And uh, as we'll talk a lot uh, later about this band, Smashing Pumpkins is touring with them at the time. And, you know, they're they're no stranger to, to each other. They toured with each other when uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers were the headliner act. But Smashing Pumpkins were the second act. Pearl Jam was the opener for all uh, for all three of the bands. Um, and now it's gotten to a level where even in Smashing Pumpkins hometown of Chicago, they're kind of the opening act for Pearl Jam. And, you know, I guess in 1992, it's a little bit different. 10 has really exploded and, and Alive is really big at the time. And, and all Smashing Pumpkins really have at the time is just Gish because Siamese Dream doesn't come out for another year or so. So Smashing Pumpkins aren't quite to that level of popularity that they would get uh, later in their career. So, uh, but it is interesting that things are changing rather quickly in, in this time period. Oh, yeah. And going from opening a show playing, you know, seven, eight, nine songs to headlining and you're playing, you know, 12 or 13 plus you're doing an encore. Yeah, that's a big difference. And like I said, though, it can't be underestimated the impact of those those alive and even flow videos where it was all live and you got a, a really you got a sense for like what they were like on stage and everybody wanted to go see them. Yeah. That those, those, those were huge. And it's funny that they did it as kind of an anti-marketing ploy and it ended up being better marketing than anything they could have done. Sure. But also marketing in their favor where people not just only wanted to, to buy the record, they wanted to get to the yeah. shows, which I think was exactly. more important for them. Um, also from the show, uh, look, this was kind of uh, highly talked about during the Let's Play 2 documentary that came out. And that's because, you know, they, they were trying to trace Pearl Jam's roots back to Chicago, the whole connection there. And uh, one of the things that happened on this night was that they were being scouted by uh, by you too, by the edge and Larry Mullen jr. So like, that's a really big deal at the time. They've never opened up for an act like that. And this is before they were introduced to, to Neil Young. I think, I think this was well before that. So just, just to see them in the building, know that they're in the building has to mean something really special to them, especially Ed, who I think is a pretty big U2 fan at the time. Absolutely. And yeah, you know, you two coming off of Octung Baby, they were like, they were the biggest band in the world at that point. That They had that song, One, that was everywhere. You could not escape that song. And for them to go to like this little, you know, kind of dive punk rock club in, in Chicago to, to scout Pearl Jam is a big deal. Absolutely. And 
you mentioned Let's Play 2. You know, there's a lot of great clips in, in that thing where they kind of go back and forth from this show to, to Wrigley. And there's some footage there of him kind of walking around Chicago. And I think he even talks about the Metro. And he goes and, like, finds the grass, the, the sod from Wrigley Field that they'd thrown out the, the side and goes and, like, grabs some. I got to think that that was all filmed on this day before this show. That's kind of cool. Yeah, uh, you know, they played the Metro one other time in 1991, but that's very, very early on. They were just, they were barely Pearl Jam at the time. Like, that was right after they had changed their name. So, you know, I I would have to think that this is probably it, and it kind of ties into the whole story here of them being excited to, to be in a big, in a big city playing a show like this that's kind of, you know, uh, especially following Unplugged, that has a lot of hype around it. And uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, in terms of Ed, like this does feel like a hometown situation that he that he is he is back to, to where he feels most comfortable. Absolutely. And I think if I'm not mistaken, you know, uh, the Metro is within us, like it's within the shadow of Wrigley Field. It's in it's in Wrigleyville. So, yeah, I think there was there was some of that kind of magic rubbing off maybe on this show. Possibly, yeah. And look, you know, this at this time, March twenty eighth, like that's right before baseball's about to start. So, you know, there's as they say, there's magic in, in Wrigley Field. One thing from Let's Play Two that I wanna debunk is that Jeff actually gets something a little wrong when he's uh being interviewed and he says that this night they were opening up for Soul Asylum. Uh, there there is truth to that because yes they did up open up for soul asylum that was the 91 show uh but no this this show they were solely they were the headlining act and smashing pumpkins was opening up for them so hey you know what after all these shows and they're not paying attention like we're paying attention you know they sure. they're it's just one place to 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 the next and i think they remember the music more than they remember uh places and and uh you know and those kind of small details but for anybody that was paying attention to that that maybe remembered him saying that just wanted to debunk it get it out of the way and and there it is so we mentioned hometown show and look like a lot of chicago shows a lot of popular chicago shows how's it gonna start easily it's gonna start with release Outside the band 
like fourth spotlight shining down and you can kind of see you can kind of see like almost a silhouette of Dave and you know maybe Ed's moving around a little bit and you can kind of see his hair flapping around but it's it's very dark and you know this goes back to our conversation that we had this past week with with Ellie Honig that's out that you guys should go and check out after this episode and he said the first time that he saw a release it was a very similar type thing where the lights were out and it was kind of very theatric and then you hit to the big build and everything comes back you start to see the band and it's bigger again and it's a that's a that's a pretty powerful moment from a show like this and especially what we know with release at the time it's kind of like a closing number on on an album but i i think they're they're trying to put it out there that like a song like this is going to be special for these special moments going forward yeah, that was a thing they were doing a lot in like 92, 93, 94. Like, it gives the show a chance to, like, it, first of all, it gets everyone's attention right away. Like, the lights go down, you're in the dark, you hear, you know, stones start playing that kind of droning guitar, guitar line. And then this voice comes out of the darkness. And yeah, it's it's attention grabbing from the very beginning. I see why they did it. I yeah, it must it just gives me it gives you chills thinking about being there, like especially the way his voice was in those early days on this. Like, yeah, just unbelievably powerful. And again, the attachments to the hometown. I am myself in this your hometown. Like those those are powerful lines there. He's thinking about his dad who grew up in Chicago. <laughs> where he will think about stuff like that and he will kind of call back to it um, and uh, yeah you know it means something to him whenever whenever he brings it up I think about Bonner Springs we, we did that evolution episode right. right the lightning strikes and everything and yeah we, we talked about this version a lot when we did our evolution episode on release mm-hmm. absolutely yeah it happens more often more often than you would imagine and uh, yeah it, it, it is it is a special opener especially when you get it kind of raw this is kind of raw here you know Dave's really hitting hard, incredible on the builds. I thought it was a, a pretty theatric uh, performance for, for being in a small venue like this. So great stuff to start off the show. In the middle, in between, he, uh, you know, a little bit of banter with the crowd. He says, you're going to have to pardon us because if we lose ourselves, we're really, really pumped up. 
And that gives you a sense that they're just feeling good about this night. They know that there's something special going into it beforehand. They know that, you know, U2 is watching them. They know they're playing with the Pumpkins, who they're really good friends with. There's a lot of positive energy from not just the show, but I I would guess the whole entire day. And that kind of leads into a little bit of an improv here. tell me how did I get here you tell me because I don't know what what do you think that is in reference to there I think he's I think he's talking about being in Chicago being on that stage yeah I think it's it just it segues perfectly from release I think it's that that same theme is is tying through this thing and I think he after he comes off saying just saying that they were really pumped up he's almost too pumped up and they need this kind of like you need to kind of have this kind of cathartic improv where He's, he might have even been too excited to play us actual songs. So they're just like, let's just give him, like, let's just riff on this thing for a minute and, and let him get some of this energy out. But it almost sounds like, why go at first? And then it's like, it changes. And then it's like, okay, this is going to be something else. But yeah, it, it's short, but it's, yeah, it's very good. One of the one of the best ones from 92, I think. It's a great way. And, and the transition right into Even Flow is perfect. Like, you have all that energy. Once they, once they kick into the improv, like, the crowd... Yeah, they don't know what it is, but like they just kind of know that the band is ready to go. And that's a sign. Okay, everybody start moving. You know, if you want to crowd surf, go up and crowd surf, do your thing. And Ed's obviously, you know, telling people to be careful and right into even flow that that really kicks this all off. Jeff and Ed are face to face like they're feeling a real positive energy and it's just radiating throughout the throughout the building. And uh and what what can you say? Like I think most most the notes here, this is a pretty typical even flow from 1992. But most of the notes here, like Ed, just watch Ed and his hair because this is the perfect time period for Ed's hair. It's like the iconic look for him. Yeah, and I, I, I give a shout out to the the camera guy. This the early part of the show is is perfectly placed, centered in the back. Like you can see everyone in the band gets a little shakier later on but some very good camera work early on here and you know you get to see like they you know when jeff kind of steps into that jump and really like get some air it's oh it's really cool there's you know the the groove of the song like the early groove of stone does just bouncy and groovy and they were just be they were all over the stage and i don't know if you noticed this but this is a callback to old live on four leg stuff that, that we were talking about back in when the election was going on but we get a never vote Republican at the end here. That's going all the way back, isn't it? Oh yeah, the, that, that 
that started early and never went away. Absolutely. And it, it makes sense because uh, Saturday Night Live, their their first appearance on Saturday Night Live would be what two weeks later, and Ed just kind of spur of the moment uh, with a sharpie draws a clothes hanger on his left chest. And on the back, he writes No Bush 92. So, hey, from the very, very early onset, people like to argue this all the time, they have been very politically charged. And, you know, right there, this time period when they're, you know, really, when they don't need to say anything and they don't need to make a statement, they they are doing it because that's who they are. Um, one thing I, I, I did forget to mention, which is pretty important, this was broadcast uh, over FM radio. I think local yeah, in Chicago. Yeah, very cool. So, yeah, this I wish they had, I wish they had done it on my, on my station down in Atlanta, but yeah, guess not. <laughs> well, it, it, that it fits within that lineage of you know being part of the Atlantas, the Soldier yeah. Fields, the Melbournes. Like you know, maybe people don't really think about that, but uh, we should kind of put together, compile this list of, of shows that that they had broadcast over time. And that that that's another reason this one got got sent around because people taped it off the radio and that's it was right. good quality. So. Yeah, but I don't think they they only broadcast up through up through porch, I believe. I don't think they did the the encore, which is a shame. You can tell later when when we play the encore stuff how right. how much different that quality is. Yeah, unfortunately, there's a discrepancy between the two. Uh, all right, so back into this. It sounds like we're about to get a chord from once, and then they kind of pause, and it seems like Dave's drum is broken, and Ed addresses that and. he's he's kind of like all right well what do we do we can't just sit here and not do anything you know we have to kind of continue it somehow we've already made up one song tonight let's stranger to the improvs of course but this kind of came out of nowhere and it felt like you know that that they were able to continue on and then finish the song like this had to have not been on the set list before this had to have been a spur of the moment thing you would think like this just had that just that whole feel of it yeah because like you said it's you know, it's, I think it's just Ed and Mike at the beginning playing for a long time, and then the drums kick in. So that makes sense that they would have taken, they would have given Dave a minute to correct whatever issue he had. But yeah, I mean, the, Rockin' in the Free World has been played now what 300, 400 times. This is only the seventh one. That's crazy. 
That's crazy. And to there, look back there, that there's far. no, there's no big jam at the end. There's no big solo. They just kind of finish the verses, finish the chorus, and then it's done. And it stays pretty true to the Neil version. It's kind of, you yeah. know, it, it's a little bit more, uh, it has a little bit more of a groove, a little bit more of a pace instead of like just kind of just being this this almost punk rock kind of strumming uh, and, and progression there. Uh, yeah, it's got that Neil stomp to it. Exactly, yeah, the Neil stomp. And Edge just singing his heart out on it. He sounds incredible. And then Dave comes in and... and when Dave comes in it sounds fantastic and they just go through the whole entire song just off the cuff it's really a magical moment from this show and then he's you know at the end of the song he's just like yeah we're just making this up just making this up as we go along like it's nothing yeah four four songs and and two one improv and one improvised set list change so yeah off to a great start absolutely And, and you have to think that a band like you two that's that's watching them in the crowd has to think all right well if this happens something like that and they have a malfunction while they're opening for us and they would end up opening four shows for them in italy that didn't quite go their way but you know that's a that's a story for another time uh but but this would this would come full circle right because later on bono bono's joined them for right. rock the free world before yeah, yeah in toronto yeah so that makes a whole hell of a lot of sense for sure so like they they kind of teased before the song uh they do get into once here and and i think the energy is just the best part of it and just seeing the crowd continue to move and to continue to to crowd surf and and you know the band is is moving on stage and yeah like this is a great version you know 1992 you're not going to get like these variant different styles of once and and maybe not get that many different styles of, of other 10 songs either but for the era and and for the energy that, that we're bringing this this fits right in yep and again like you know i talk about early versions of once where it's you know it's not my favorite i kind of prefer the later versions where they turn it into more of an anthem but but this one has yeah like it says it's in the 1992 is stone's year he's still still running the show on that that guitar and they're just driving these songs and this yeah it sounds great and nothing bad to say about it right yep and uh look they're just continuing on into state of love and trust following up and even state of love and trust at the time it's not it's not a popular song the singles album is isn't coming out for a long time it, it's probably got about six months until people know what the singles movie is but it, it's it, it, you know, it's still kind of uh, it's ballsy to to go out there and kind of throw a song like that early, and especially that you've only gotten three from the album within the first 15-20 minutes. That like that's a ballsy move because not a lot of people that are in this crowd are gonna know "Stay in the Love and Trust." It's it's just a song that they've been performing live a lot at this time. Yeah, and then this is kind of the beginning of them just not caring about that because you think about '93, you start to get. They started playing Whipping and all the Versus songs before Versus came out and all the Vitalogy songs before Vitalogy came out. So, yeah, this is this is kind of the beginning of that. But, I mean, i got to think, too, that, you know, go back to Unplugged, you know, playing State of Love and Trust on Unplugged. Mm. i got to think they, they were just feeling it. And, like, yeah, it started showing up a lot more on these set lists. Yep, absolutely. And that's, you're probably right. Once once May hit and once you heard State of Love and Trust played Unplugged, okay, people are starting to like, all right, what is this song? Let's figure it out, and uh, obviously it became just as popular as anything else from the Ten Era, and and different too. Like this, I don't know if people realize it, but 
versions of State of Love and Trust back in the early 90s have that sort of that breakdown section before Mike's solo and it kind of extends a little bit. They don't do that now. They just kind of, they're, they're quick with it. They get right into the solo and it, and it just kind of bursts through. Um, very kind of a tale of two different songs there. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, just the really early versions were kind of like a lot more mid-tempo and a lot more kind of dirgy. And yeah, th- this was kind of the transition into the, the singles version that we know start playing it like a little lot faster. And now, yeah, now they just like punk rock their way through it. Right, yeah. And, you know, it's just classic. It's a classic version. So uh, in between, we get Mike and he's noodling a little bit. He's noodling a little bit of Angie. And I think he's got a lot of stones in his repertoire at the time. I think every now and again, he'll give you Angie or he'll give you like uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash or something like that. Beast so, of Burden. Beast, yeah. Beast of Burden. Yeah, that's the one. And uh, while he's doing that, Ed's squirting some water into the crowd and he's checking in, making sure everyone's all right. And uh, then you get into that classic riff of Alive, and that crowd explodes. Again, it's it's hard to make out because, like I said, he's mumbling. I think he's he's not even he's kind of doing it a little bit off the microphone. Mm. But yeah, I mean, we we don't we don't you don't have to you don't have to work your brain too hard to think it's something about his dad and something about Chicago being coming off of that release that line change. It's probably something very similar. Yeah, and and you know the other thing that I had with this was just obviously this is going to be the one that carries through to the night, and you know even though they're not closing with it, it's definitely the bridge builder to the rest of the set. So in the middle of this, like right before they kind of go into, you know, what we know now as the hay section, Ed kind of gets onto the speaker and he's on top of the crowd. And it just looks like he's in full control of everything, that he's on top of the world. And I don't want to like say that he's kind of up there and he kind of looks like a rock god, but when you're looking back 29 years later and this is kind of you know akin to an iconic moment it has to be because whenever you see ed do something like that you know that he's kind of has a little bit of extra passion in him you know that something crazy is going to happen next so that it's uh just just seeing something like that it's a small thing stepping up on the speaker he does it every show now but something like that in 1992 with his hair you know, right in front of his face and singing to the crowd. It's just the 
images are irreplaceable. Yeah, a few weeks ago I talked about a version of Daughter where the you feel the band kind of surge forward, where like there's the energy is raised, like they everybody playing is like elevated. And you can call it being locked in. People call it like, oh, the band was on. They were really on fire for that one. But there's a feeling you get when you're like playing with music with people where you you just start to you just you get into like a groove and it just feels like you know you can do anything and Pearl Jam is able to hit that a lot more than a lot of bands because mm -hmm. you know Stone and Jeff playing together for a long time you know Mike's been playing with them for a long time and Ed comes in and like the drummer thing you know is is its own thing but they have that ability to kind of do that surge on a lot of songs and a lot of a lot of the time and the ending of Alive is one where like you said when when that when that last part kicks in you know the the part that we come to know is the hey part you feel but you can almost feel it coming out of the speakers where they just push and the the song just goes to another level it's really really cool yeah and uh, you know for 1992 versions mike is usually going to throw in the war pigs tag in there and it's pretty classic you know just especially location like that small small location not a lot of people when you play kind of an iconic anthem like that and see the birth and, and the beginning of what this song would be in a much larger environment later on it's pretty important so yeah you're right the surge definitely huge and uh just great performance overall uh that gets us into black you know it, it's uh black is it gets a, a pretty good reaction when when they come out with it which is which is great because you think black and and I don't know if if I'm in the minority of of thinking this but uh you know I, I sort of think that maybe at the time that a song like black even though it's as amazing as a song it is that people are going to want more of the songs like once and want more of the songs like why go the the just the straight ahead rockers that black is a little bit more emotional but i think it, it just hits that boundary of being a an emotional song but also having an edge to it this was my favorite song on 10 from the very beginning and yeah i think it's it's just such an undeniable melody and such a well-written song that yeah it's it, it's a highlight every single time they played it and yeah this is this is no exception like you get a little bit of we belong together you get stone and jeff perfect background vocals oh, like background I, we, we vocals talked about great. one a couple weeks ago where they were just right on yeah this sounds great and, and look <laughs> this is again following unplugged so they know what happened they know that they were feeling something good during it and although that hasn't translated to these crowds yet they can kind of translate from that version because there are a lot of elements that are from that. Like you mentioned, the We Belong Together tag, the Surrounded by Some Kids at Play, that escalated line. Those things are there. And really, when you're listening to Black in, in 1992, even when you're listening to Black way later on, all the years throughout that they've played it, they've changed every single version. They found a way to make it different from the album version. I think this was probably around the time where they were starting to do that for this song. And and you forget too, like this was getting radio play. Like they famously like refused to release it as a single, but I remember hearing it on the radio down here. So you know, like you know, people were people were playing it on the radio. People knew it. I'm surprised it would would have gotten play back in March of '92. I would I wouldn't have thought that it would have gotten play until yeah. After but, you know, it's, it's hard. I, I can't go back and 
you know, picture, you know, month by month what was being played, but I, I do remember hearing it on the radio. Oh, yeah, and, and now you can't, you can't go anywhere without hearing it still on the classic rock radio station, so. Jeremy, a little bit of a, a mention to Chicago and deep, you know, feeling quite superior Chicago. Uh, and the crowd is still hot for everything. Like they, you know, black might be maybe a song where they're not going to crowd surf and maybe a song where they're not going to bounce around and move around as much. And maybe there's a little bit more swaying and, you know, maybe it's a cigarette lighter song, so to speak, but deep kind of gets the crowd back riled up. And especially at the end, they do that classic descent into madness and feels real good. And, you know, that's that's another sign that the the energy is there. The posit- the positivity is there. Everything everything's radiating again. Yep, and then like black is a good time to kinda reset, get that get that crowd moving again. So yeah, deep and deep and Jeremy are perfect here. And and these are these are Dave's wheelhouse, like we talk about all the time. Like that these are the ones that he shines on. So yeah, sounds really good. And Deep is all about, like you said, all about that outro, that descent where everything just go, gets chaotic. That's the best part. Absolutely, yeah. And and it happens a lot in 1992. There's some versions that, you know, they, they sound the same as, as the next version. But you know what? Like, you don't get versions of Deep anymore. They just don't do that. And especially, they don't have Dave A at the kids, so they're not going to do something like that to finish the song. So, uh Good, good to go back and, and hear kind of the early renditions and hear how it all went about. But also, hey, Jeremy here too. And we can't discount that because I, that's the one that I remember seeing from the Let's Play 2 documentary. They're showing these little clips here and there. And it's the part where, you know, they're ramping up at the end. <laughs> summer when we were doing the uh the Ridley series and hey if you haven't gone and listened to the Ridley series go listen to that that was fantastic 
five episodes of all the Wrigley shows and then a ton of great guests. Definitely go out and check that out if you haven't yet. Uh, but I think it was that moment that made me realize, hey, I think we should do this show. I want to cover the Metro. If it's got this, you know, seeing the crowd react to it and seeing Ed kind of get really passionate during it and kind of, you know, do his like little convulsions during it, like that's what made me want to to cover this show. That 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 was great. Like the way they spliced it in, mixing the footage from from 2016 and 92 together. Yeah, it's really well done. And you know, Jeremy was kind of it was kind of the late bloomer on on 10, right? Like the video hadn't even come out at this time. It wouldn't come out till August, so it hadn't really blown up on MTV yet. Mm-hmm. But still, yeah, they were still playing it that early, early way where yeah, the the vocals are really powerful. He's super intense, and yeah, like it. it this is this is the time and the place for. It. Yeah, and some of his poses here, they're just the iconic Eddie Vedder poses going back to 1992, the ones that, you know, got posters on on people's college dorms and things like that. Those are the images that you remember from this era, 100%. Before the next song, Ed kind of mentions that the the person the song is written about is here tonight, and, uh, and it's Why Go, and, you know this is a good time to kind of talk about how why go sort of developed and, and why it was written. And I think the girl's name was Heather, right? That, that came to the show. So, so Heather's here and there's a great explanation that I read about it and why it was written and, and the situation. So her mom apparently caught her smoking pot at 13 years old. And, you know, you get parents at the time like, Oh, well, Pot's, pot's a gateway drug. You're going to be a crack addict in, in, in two months. And, you know, they, they get over, uh, they get too crazy about it. Some parents, they, they just are, they have, they grip. They I'm, have, I'm raising my hand. That would have, if I had been caught smoking pot at, at 13, this could have been written about me too. Yeah, my parents would have flipped out. But would they have sent you to a mental institution? Possibly. <laughs> See, yeah, and that's unfortunately the situation that we have with the song is that, you know, this girl is kind of in between two uh, subjects that she can't control. She can't control her parents and she can't control the doctors in the hospital that are trying to resolve her medical issue when in reality she doesn't have one at all. This is all kind of fabricated to get her to stay stay away from, from drugs and alcohol, which is, you know, which is a load of crap. Pot is absolutely nothing so it's 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 interesting because it's kind of in a way that that's sort of what generation x was was dealing with it feels like this is a very relatable situation especially in the early 90s yeah this is definitely one of the one of the teenage angst songs and you know after all that you know she can be forgiven for not like raising her hand going like it's me he's talking about me that's me um We'll, we'll give her a pass. I'm glad he didn't like. Hey, can we get a spotlight? She's back there. In the right. Front. Raise your hand, Heather. Like, yeah, but it, but it's cool to know that, like, yeah, she was there, and that I think they were, you know, they were friends. So, yeah, unfortunately, like the video, this is where the video starts up a little bit more. She's the video does cut out a little bit, so we don't get, we don't get to see the full performance. But my God, this is explosive.
speakers like a cannonball. Like this, and the crowd's into it. And yeah, this is one of the best performances of Why Go I think I've heard in a long time. It's really fantastic. Yes, it just has a lot of force behind it, and of course, it's driven by Dave. A. It you know that's that's Dave A's style song there, and Ed's just clutching onto the microphone the whole time. And again, everybody moving on the stage, everybody moving in the crowd, and and they they're just feeling that energy. And it's crazy to think that this is the penultimate song of the main set. But here we are. We get Ed addressing the crowd after Why Go, and he's, he's saying, well, what'd you think of us? I told you Chicago was a real city, good places to play and people to work with, good crowds, and an okay basketball team. Mentions the Bulls, whatever the was happening in the Bulls game briefly. And then uh, there's just one thing I wanted to say one two three four we know what that leads into every single time it's a legendary set closer and of course you're going to get it in in 1992 to close out a set and maybe get a little bit of end antics it seems like it was tough to tell on the video but it seems like we we were getting something here yeah it looks like there was some crowd surfing going on i think it almost sounds like he says like you know take me to the back or i want to go to the back but you know it's and again the video's cut and it's a little bit grainy, so it's hard to tell. But, yeah, you got to think there were some, some uh, shenanigans going on there. Yeah, and like you said, the video was cut off. And, unfortunately, it, it cuts off, you know, as they're about to get to that outro. As that song kind of builds and gets to the crescendo, you, you, you lose it, unfortunately. And that's what you want out of these songs. And we don't get any of how the crowd reacts to the closers the main set closer the encore closer encore one closer encore two closer we don't get any of those reactions from the crowd how crazy right. is that? yeah yeah someday when i get my time i'll go back and throw another i'll slide another little tape in the guy's back pocket and be like you're gonna need this this is gonna be a long one <laughs> again porch porch does have that like you know it, it has that build and it's getting to it and uh uh, yeah, so- sounds great here. Great way to end, end the main set. Uh, we're at the encore now. Believe it or not, there's there's four songs left. They only do they do four songs. They split it up into two separate encores, and uh, that kind of gives us a little bit of a break that we can get back into that in just a second. Some important stuff there. But let's pause for station identification. Talk a little bit about what's going on at Patreon and. Uh, yeah, it, we've been doing a lot of stuff the last couple of weeks. We we did a, a present tense evolution episode, and that was, I mean, the evolution episodes are always fantastic. Always go out and check those out. Uh, we did a profile with Gabe Spies, who was on our St. Petersburg episode last week. We've done a set list draft. Coming tomorrow is going to be another Bridge School episode for 2010, a really, really good show that I recommend you guys listen to. So we have a lot of stuff going on over there. John... Those are the things we have to offer. Let's talk a little bit about the tiers. What can they get from joining on to Patreon? Yeah, so if you guys hear us, you know, you hear us talk about these these Patreon exclusive episodes and things like that, and you might be thinking, like, what is Patreon? Well, it's just a way that you can support the show and kind of get access to some of the cool things that we're doing. So if you we have uh, three different tiers. If you donate one dollar a month, you will become a bonus leg. And you get access to all the extra audio content that we're doing over there. The set list drafts, like you mentioned, we just did one. Please go vote on that. 
we do the our Bridge School series that you mentioned. We've been doing these Devo episodes where we just kind of like talk about something fun. Uh, the Evolution episodes, all that stuff is on there. For $1 a month, you can check that out. Uh, if, you, if you've if you been listening to the show and you're like, you know, the, the, I wish they would talk about the show that I went to. that Because that was a great show that no one ever talks about. Or if you're like, oh, there's, there's a really classic show that they haven't done yet. I think that would be really good. We have our Giggle Egg tier for $5 a month. That's where you get to suggest a show for us to cover. Uh, you get to come on the show and talk about it. And you still get access to all the audio, audio content and everything else. Then we have our Horizon Leg tier for the people that are supporting our Concertpedia project. Uh, you get like the liveonfourlegs.com where we're going to be going through and uh, kind of picking up some of the doing the reviews for the live shows. That's going to be very cool. Uh, for $10 a month, you can get like an executive producer credit on that. You'll get a chance to come on and we'll do a profile episode on you like we've done with Gabe and a bunch of other people. They've all been really great. I was looking forward to doing a bunch more. And uh, you get access. To, like I said, you still get to pick a show. Still get to access to all the audio content. So that's basically a breakdown of Patreon. You know, we're we're doing this thing where, you know, you mentioned all the time where we're trying to hit 100 patrons so we can throw a big party and do some really cool things. And I think we uh, we're, we got a little closer this past week, didn't we? We did, yeah. I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm pleased to see this. And we're we're now only 10 people away from, from reaching our goal, which it, awesome. seems, it seems like it's going to happen, folks. Hopefully, you know, by June, we'll get to reach 100. Only 10 more people people to do it and you know if you're if you're not in yet hopefully it's you you know and even if you just want to check it out i just recommend going in and doing the bonus leg for one dollar a month it's definitely worth it uh but I, I let's shout out some people that have uh have now become patrons and uh i want to shout out here david monte and he is uh i think he he came to our first christmas party and i I, i'm not sure if he was the person that said this but i I remember somebody during that saying hey are you guys on the radio and it kind of made us chuckle because it's like well kind of it's i mean we talk so it's kind of the same thing i don't know i don't want to i don't want to you know embarrass him if that's not him or if that is him but uh you know ever since then he's been he's been interested in what we're doing and he's been in the clubhouse events that we've been doing so very cool glad to have david aboard Corey frazier that's a new name haven't seen Corey frazier before but thank you Corey. you're a brand new patron thank you for joining uh and uh, zachary fields is has joined the horizon tier so we have a brand new horizon tier member that's that's fantastic i i always say like you know start at the bottom start from start from the one dollar tier and then see if you like it and then if you want to bump it up bump it up but he's starting out at the ten dollar tier and we really appreciate that and one one other person to shout out too i want to shout out nick smith who went from bonus leg to giggle leg this week so now he's gonna actually i i had promised him a show already he's been doing some really great work for our website and he's a fantastic writer you're you know when this website comes out a lot of what you'll be reading is is going to be from him and and some of the other people that have been doing such a great job but uh yeah he uh i i already promised him he would get an episode but he decided hey i'm gonna bump it up anyway i like what you guys do so thank you nick for for becoming a giggle egg and just a little hint to you guys Maybe at the end of the episode, yeah, we're going to have to share this at the end of the episode, but we've been teasing a mystery 1995 show. 
and and mystery is just that's just a word that's just a word to describe it because people are like what do you have a bootleg that you're you've uncovered and and no we we don't we're just not telling you what it is until you know give it about 20 minutes <laughs> and we'll reveal what we're doing so all right, but, let's... but 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 too like be sure and you know check out our Discord. I, I think I saw Zach jump on our Discord the yeah. other day. A lot of good conversation going on over there. We've done the the album of the day. I think today's the last day. We're doing the the Satchel album, which is the members of Brad minus Stone. So there's going to be a lot of good a lot of good talk about that. Some Sean Smith discussion, and uh, yeah, can join our Discord. Like again, thanks so much to David and Corey and Zach for for jumping in on the Patreon and. All that I hope they get a chance to go check out some of that, some of that archived audio content because it's all there. You know, going back from the beginning when we when we started putting stuff up there, it's all still there. So definitely, guys, go and check that out. Yep, we thank everybody for for joining in, tuning in to that. Um, all right, let's get back into the show here. They don't have a lot of original songs left, especially off of ten. So the way that they're going to get back into the encore is with Garden, and you know the only two 10 songs that they have left are garden and oceans. So you kind of oceans is pretty much relegated to, to the opener spot. You're not usually going to see that in the encore unless it's a pretty special moment. Uh, but garden here, the one thing about it, I was just kind of expecting it to have, and in 1992, you kind of do get this from versions of the song, kind of like a metal vibe to it, where it's a little bit edgier, a little bit harder. It, it feels a little bit more light, and then they kind of build at the end, and it kind of hits a really strong point at the end, gets really good then, but it, it doesn't have that metal aspect that we talked about before. Uh, I was expect, I was hoping for that, but uh, unfortunately, this version just, just kind of stays pretty even keel. Yeah, this is in, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that any part. Mike has a great solo in this. But, yeah, this is kind of like their Zeppelin song, I think of, you know. And it doesn't, it's one that, a lot like Oceans, it doesn't really fit in with the rest of the album. So I'm not surprised that kind of those were the two that that were left off. But, yeah, I mean, they had had Alone, they had Breath. You know, that this could have been a Dirty Frank show, you know, like a a Chicago show. Could have (laughs) been been a a freaking style show. Possible, possible. But, uh, but yeah, like, you know, come out and, like, it's, it's, Garden, it, even now, like, they've, they've messed with it and done some things with it, and, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this, this can be the appreciation, uh, song of the, of the week, we can talk about Garden a little bit, like, it's, it almost feels out of place when they, when they play it, but not because it's, like, a bad song, or it's not a well-written song, it's just because it's, was such a different sound for them, again, like I said, I think it, it really is influenced by, kind of the kind of I don't you know I'm not a Led Zeppelin historian but some of the mid period kind of stuff that they were doing and yeah but I I think it's cool I think it this is a good place to tour where again you're you're kind of resetting the the set after porch you're coming after this break you're going to kind of warm people up again so yeah I think Garden's a good choice here yeah and uh, you know some of those other songs that you mentioned before Breath and Alone they were kind of they were just kind of left off and, and kind of if they brought him back, it would be an every now and again instance, especially at this point where everybody knows the 10 record so well uh, that, of course, you're going to want to try to get the whole thing in. And, and uh, yeah, Garden Garden fits and, and does work perfectly. But there's a really good point to be made because the next song is Leash. And even Ed says in the beginning, can we trust have your trust to play a new song? Leash is 
heavy in the rotation at the time. So heavy that, you know, I think I think they debuted it back in November of 91. And now at this point, look at the two songs that are played side by side here. Garden had been played, and this is, is inaccurate because we don't have every single set list from 1991 and 1992. So yeah, there, this has a little bit of an asterisk to it. But from what we know and what we have, Garden had been played 37 times. Leash? from, you know, only a few months, debuting only a few months ago, 31 times. How crazy of a discrepancy is that? Yeah, it Leash came on quickly and it, it stuck around. Like, And yeah, like one song, you know, Garden is kind of fading out of the out of their favor. And Leash is just taking its place, jumping right in there, taking jumping right in that spot. So yeah, it's kind of a, a tale of two songs going in opposite directions there. Which is funny because you get to a year later... And when Versus comes out, even though Leash is on Versus, it that kind of loses favor for other songs off the album, yep. like Go and yep. Animal and, and Dissident and Glorified G. So, you know, it kind of gets a taste of its own medicine a little bit, I, I guess. That's right. Yeah, uh, full circle. But yeah, and this version, this version is cut off as well. Like yeah. again, the the FM broadcast had stopped, so the the, the audio we have is from the video. And yeah, we only get about a minute and some change off of this. It's, it's too bad because I would really, I'd really like to see, you know, this version. And again, you know, the you know the story of Leash was written about Heather as well. This the same person from Why Go. So I don't think it's a it's a shock that they would play both of them, knowing that that she was going to be there. Yeah, no, that, that, you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, just thinking about it right now, Leash is kind of like if you're telling a story with why go and leash back to back leash is kind of like the the getting out of the why go situation kind of the the prospering the rising above and and all that stuff and just sort of breaking away you know breaking breaking away from the chain that that's holding you back so yeah cool stuff and and you know it's always great to see them put stuff in the set list for a purpose and uh you know what we're about to get to is, uh, I mean, there's no better purpose than bringing out the Smashing Pumpkins and having them play with you, because this is this is going to be fun. So we get Billy, Darcy, and Jimmy out there. We don't get James Eha. I don't know what James was doing. What was James doing this day? Like, uh, Probably smoking pot at that stage. <laughs> I was about to say. Stone is out there. They don't want to get rid of Stone. So they come out, and, you know, the album Gish is out at the time, and uh, this is one of Ed's favorite tracks off the album, Window Pane. And it's kind of, you know, it's it's a more it's a more heavy. It's kind of like spiritual. It's a little bit different. Uh, it it kind of that whole album. Gish has that feel to it. Yeah, yeah. It's not one that I really go back to a whole lot. I, I probably listen to it once or twice. I'm more familiar with the with the you know the next album and and kind of the popular stuff, Siamese Dream and, and Melancholy. But yeah, like what, what? How do you? What's your take on this? I mean, yeah. Gish is is strange because it's a it's a little more kind of hippie-ish and kind of you know like you mentioned a little bit more spiritual there's a lot of like chimey guitar stuff going on there but window panes i think it's near the end of the album it might be like the next to last track on that record and yeah it's but gish is cool like it's 
you know, it, didn't, it didn't have like a hit single, but there's some great songs on there. Like Rhinoceros is a great song. You know, I Am One, Siva, there's some good stuff on there. But I think this is the one, like you said, I think this is the one that kind of Ed latched, latched on to. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if he asked them, like requested this by name ahead of the show. Like, yeah. hey, I love that song, Window Pane. You guys want to come play with us? Like, yeah, I, I, got, I think this was premeditated by Ed. I think, and, and going back, maybe this was the uh, Blind Pig show that we did. I think they, they tagged, like, and I don't want to say it, it's it's a real tag, but I think it, it's kind of like how they tagged Outshine, where Ed would sing uh, Feeling Minnesota, like, he, he would just sing a line from Windowpane after a song. So it it's kind of has that, it kind of has that tie in there. But, you know, as the song kind of takes a dip, you think it's over. Ed takes the mic by himself and gets this roaring ovation, and it's just fantastic. Because it's 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 a mending of of two important, extraordinarily important '90s bands who have have had different paths and kind of had similar but different fan bases. But boy, did they really define the sound of the decade. And and we, we didn't even really mention too like it's first it's it's just Billy and Darcy and, and Jimmy like it's just the Smashing Pumpkins coming out and playing an encore. Like, if you, you, you may get, like, one or two people from Pearl Jammer out there, but Ed's obviously just kind of watching and just kind of taking it all in. But then, like, the song kind of ends, and Billy kind of looks around like, okay, like, what are we going to do? And then right. Ed's like, no, like, I want to sing too. Keep going. So, yeah, this goes <laughs> on for, I think the track's like 13 or 14 minutes long. Yeah, it goes on for a long time. Yeah, and uh, it's, you know, the I think it's just kind of, again, going back to, being in their hometown and being, you know, Smashing Pumpkins, not not headlining, it's kind of giving them their encore type moment, their headliner type moment, and and showing like the local heroes, like they were kind of still kind of a regional band. Sure, yeah, and it's showing the bonding between the two is very important. So great to see that moment, and, and everybody stays on stage. They don't really have a lot of songs left, and you got to get a song out there that everybody's familiar with. Everybody knows the Beatles. Let's let's do a little bit of I got a feeling it.
Yeah, again, I think less than two minutes. We don't, I, I, you know, I, the, it goes down in the lore of like, how long did this go on? Was this like a 20 minute, I right. got a feeling where there, was it like some epic performance? Like it's just for the people who are there to know. Yeah, and, you know, once again, you just kind of have to capture this moment and seeing, you know, in front of very, you know, probably less than a thousand, what what do you think, like 800 people there, 500 people at most? Something like that. Yeah, just seeing the two of them kind of knowing what would come next is just from hindsight and 29 years into the future looking at that it's just like wow this is this is setting up for something really huge something really big and and it's just blissful for them they're they're enjoying this without having the added headaches of you know the rigorous tour schedules and you know the the bullshit with Ticketmaster and whatever else comes they're just enjoying playing music on stage and that's that's the best thing about this uh so at the end we don't see this but this is an important moment. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it for you to to tell them here. Yeah. So, in the in the PJ20 book, it talks about how this is kind of the beginning of something that would become a really big tradition in Pearl Jam shows. So, Ed kind of looks around and he's he's got this Polaroid camera, and he he's I think the quote is something like, "Oh, I want to remember this, or I want to I want to take a picture of you guys." So he he takes out the Polaroid, takes a picture of the crowd from the stage. And this is the first time that he does this. And this became a tradition. You know, you think about, you know, Pink Pop a few months later where he's looking like, oh, I, I can't believe there's this many people. Like, I, it takes like, he, in the video, you know, he shows, he holds up the three Polaroids to show how many people were there. Like, yeah, the, this is the very beginning of that. And this would go on for years and years and years. Yep. A great tradition. And I think the line is, I just want to remember this. And yeah. this is, this is so poignant. This is all happening so fast. They know they're rising. They know that they're hitting their stride. They know that their their popularity is is about to go through the roof, but they kind of want to capture it all and and make sure that they don't forget moments like this. So very important. The show. We're gonna get to the rating in just a second, but uh, let's let's break down what our moments are. What are your three favorite moments from this? Yeah, so so many to choose from for a for a fifteen song set. You know, you talk about that that improv early on, you know, just thrown in rocking in the free world, kind of off the cuff. Black was obviously a, a big moment, but I got to go with, uh, with window pane, with having the, the pumpkins come out and, you know, the story like Ed coming out and singing it with them and then release, obviously the, in this your hometown for his dad, that's powerful. But my number one's why go, I think that was the one that really jumped out to me and stood out. So those are my three. I'm going to, you know, I, I think we've both taken some liberties on the top three at times and, and have kind of cheated and, uh, and just kind of blended moments together. And I think everything from the improv jam into even flow into the just improv of rocking in the free world, that whole section feels like I can't divide those three entities so i'm putting that all together and saying that you're taking the you're taking the michael jordan continuation rule on that you you damn right i am (laughs) uh so i'm uh yeah that that's my number one i think release for me is number two and then i'm just gonna say uh again I'm, i'm gonna take take more liberties here i'm just gonna say the end uh, with the Smashing Pumpkins, everything from uh, from window pane to I've got a feeling just the whole just seeing them on stage together, seeing Billy and, and Eddie sing together, that 
almost never happens and really hadn't happened again, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, so special moment and, you know, knowing what we know of the bands now, like you really kind of have to look at that as being pretty important. So here we are to rating. Um, Usually you say that you like to keep the high ratings for the shows that are top 50 of all time. We've done a lot of shows that we can consider top 50 of all time. Yeah, where, we have. where does this stand? Yeah, I think this is, you know, and like I said, so many great moments. And even though it's, you know, it's, it's not 1994, it's, they hadn't, you know, we're, they've only got one album out at the time, but I still, I still think this is a 10, 10 out of 10 for hmm. me. So many great moments up and down the list, like great performances, crowds into it, you know, cool things that you would never see again. So yeah, this is, it might not be in the top five or the top 10, but yeah, this absolutely deserves a a rating of 10. Interesting. Okay. That makes my decision a little bit tougher because I was thinking, you know, it's 1992 and they, in 1992, like songs, don't really differ from set list to set list. You're, you know, you kind of know what you're going to get. You know, you're going to get porches the, at the, at the end, you know, you're going to get uh, the songs like why go is going to sound exactly like how it sounds. But I think you got to put that aside a little bit and say that there are moments that are a little bit bigger than that, that people do remember. And one of them being like mentioned before, just them on stage with the pumpkins is, is super important. The, the rocking in the free world improving is, is incredibly important. And, um, I think there's enough from this show and, and not just that, but to think about the time period going back to that and thinking about kind of, if you're looking at a timeline and how things are jumping and, you know, where you can kind of dissect the band's popularity and, and tell the story, I think that this is probably one of the moments that you do talk about it as sort of just a, a jumping off point from here to probably unplugged that ties into the story. So with that, that's going to put it in the 10 category for me. Oh yeah. That does yeah, it. I think it deserves it. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad you came around on that one. It was, it was difficult because yeah, I mean, I was, I was easily, in nine, nine and a half, but I just didn't know saying something as top 50 is, is extremely difficult to do. And and I've actually choked on that before with, with other shows that maybe are considered in the top 50. So I, I, I try not to make those mistakes again. And I know by the end of this, there's people are going to be like, you, you gave a rating of five to 79 different shows. You said they were on the top 50. Well, yeah, right. just give me a break. So, all right. We, we teed up before that there was a mystery thing that was going on Patreon that had something to do with the year 1995. Well, if you've been doing your homework, you know that the first week of every month, we've been going back to the Seattle series where we're focusing on an important show from their hometown. And uh, we did 1993 last time. There's no show from 1994. So what is there to do? The more theater show, of course, the, the piss bottle men shows, we have to get to those. And, I I say that plural because there is two. However, there are important things that come out of both shows that we do need to cover. Night two probably is the more important one. So night two is going to be the one that's on our regular feed. That's going to come out next week, night two of the more. 
And night one is going to be the mystery show that we're, we're going to do for Patreon. Cause they're, they're about like 20, 20 song sets each. So it's, it's, we can't package those together. I think it's a, a good idea to, to give a little bit of a treat to the patrons. I think that they deserve it. So, you know, why, why not? Why not give it to them? And, yeah. and I think this will be the first time that we've released two full episodes simultaneously. Yeah, we're that we're going to release them ex- at the exact same time. We're not going to wait until the next day. So, you know, maybe if you are on Patreon, maybe it's, you know, one of these things where you listen to that version, you listen to the, the night one show before you listen to night two and, and see how kind of how everything adds up. So that should be fun. That should be fun. Looking yeah, forward now's to a that. great time to jump on Patreon if you've been thinking about it. Absolutely. The train to a hundred, it's, uh, it's, it's coming in soon and boy, wouldn't you love to be that 100th patron, right? Like that's, oh, yeah. that's gotta feel good. And, uh, don't we, yeah. don't we have, uh, don't we have something, uh, something special for the patrons that, uh, that we were going to mention? Oh something, yeah. Something coming back that, uh, that was, uh, that we did a little while ago. Yeah. Um, it looks like we can get mask back on the horizon guys. Looks like we're going to get some masks back. So just wore mine the other day for those who haven't gotten masks. uh, It looks like you'll get your opportunity. I'll uh, be able to send them out whenever I get them. But that's another thing. If you join, well, you know, I I think we're going to what we're going to do is going to be like, you know, uh, six months on the bonus leg tier, two months on the giggle leg tier. And then the horizon donors will get it right away. So uh, should that's a, a nice little added bonus for us to say thank you to you guys. So. If that's yeah, and even if you get the if you, even if you get vaccinated, still wear a mask, so you'll still be able to use it. Absolutely, they, I think they just said today they they're it's they want it mandated. So you know we're still in this fight. We got to get through it together. Uh, all right, like I said, next week is going to be the Moore Show uh, from 1995. So let's finish this on out. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already, and I miss you always. This was a popular show, an important show. The Metro 1992 is in the books. You can put the the little stamp on it. You can color it, whatever you want. That's uh, another show that's that's in our history. We move on to the next one next week, 1995. We'll see you then. Do what you want to do. Say what you want to say. <laughs> And say what you gonna say Do what you gonna do Yes, start today Start